Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Hardcore, what's up guys? Evolutionary.org, hardcore podcast coming your way. This is episode 126, Chris Bumstead we're doing today. Steve Smee here in the Mobster. What's up, man? How you doing? All good, yeah. Let's let's, let's see what we can find out about C-Bum and, and entertain the crowd. Yes, sir. So Chris Bumstead, he's an IFBB classic physique pro bodybuilder. Lots of sponsors. He's Canadian. Ottawa, Canada. He is the current Classic Physique Olympia champion 2019 and 2020. So it'll be interesting to see if he, um, how many more of these he can win in a row. He's, let's see, his listed stats somewhere around six foot one, 220 to 225 pounds, which is approximately 100 to 102 uh, kilos. His age right yeah. now, guys, is 25 years old. He will be 26 very soon after this podcast is published. He was born February 2nd, 1995. So, you know, as a kid, we talk about how these guys grew up. He looked, he's always been into bodybuilding. He looked up to Tom Plants, Tom, uh, Tom Platts. Um, Barry DeMay also was one of his inspirations. And then obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was really, really uh, young when Arnold Schwarzenegger was doing movies back in the you know late 90s, early 2000s, um, some the latter stage of Arnold's movie career. He never saw Arnold obviously compete. Um, neither did I. <laughs> Mobster did, though. Mobster was young enough. <laughs> Way to make me feel old. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But yeah, I mean... I never saw him compete, but he competed in my yeah. time, yeah. But yeah, these guys definitely... And maybe down the line, people will look back at him at Seabom and be like, wow, you know, I want to look like this guy. So, you know, we'll get at, kind of get into the debate later on of his, you know, the way he looks versus the way these heavyweight 280 pound Mr. Olympia heavyweight champions look. We'll kind of get into that debate in a little bit. We'll talk about the steroid usage between what they use and what he uses. And we'll talk about yeah. all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Seabom, he, um, he was involved in some sports. In high school, football, basketball, track, those are typical uh, sports that the jocks tend to get into when they're younger, the, uh, the athletes. And he's genetically gifted, obviously. His sister's boyfriend, which is now the husband, Ian Vallier, and we, we talked about him on the pre-show. We've also talked, to, we kind of touched on him on a few uh, previous hardcore episodes because he, he did place as some um, Mr. Olympias. So he's a big time bodybuilder as well. Um, he saw potential in, in Bumstead. He helped him compete back in the mid 20, 2010s um, when he was just 19, 20 years old. So for the past five, six years, you know, they've really kind of competed against each other. And Chris has really got a name for himself out there. And so has his, his, his you know, his brother-in-law. So you know, it's been interesting to see both of these guys get bigger. And, you know, being um, 
being a young guy like this, it's kind of fascinating to me that we have the younger guys, the mid twenties are the guys winning the physique, doing well in physique. And we've got the guys more into the mid to late thirties, even early forties doing better at the, um, at the heavyweight division. The um, open. Yeah. At the open. open yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's kind of interesting. So I'll bring a mobster, mobster, um, you know, he's a, uh, one of your, um, one of your, uh, here, he, you know, role models, right? Chris Mumstead, or is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could we look any? Could we look any more different? I, I, that's, I have actually. It's one of the few fellas that I occasionally watch these videos on YouTube, and uh, I would say I, I think his social media is growing, but he's quite social media savvy. He comes across really, really well uh, on on YouTube and in his interviews and wherever else. He's kind of comfortable with being on camera. One of the things he did a couple of years ago, which we'll we, we get into his medical conditions in, in shortly, but he actually did a whole thing on camera when in 2018 he had to get, was hospitalized and he sat down in front of the camera and was crying on the sofa and was quite open about how he felt and what was going on uh, and all that kind of stuff. And this is the sort of thing that people like to connect to. In fact, in the pre-show, uh, Steve Smee and I were talking about how Funny enough, he actually kind of turned that around a little bit. So he's gone from being incredibly open and telling you exactly what's going on, whatever else. But he was kind of savvy this year, in my opinion, uh, in that he did not put up too many photographs of his physique and how he's progressing and whether he was drying out and whatever ready for the show, whereas his competition, the top two, top three guys did. And this is quite a bit of something that's... Uh, kind of interesting for this generation and how we, we we put ourselves out into the world now. So you can go on Instagram, you can almost have an Instagram career, you can have a kind of YouTube thing going on, you can make money from the travels, you can make money from your social media. However, when you step on the stage, if the judges and everybody in the audience has seen everything you've got to give three days out from the competition, where's the surprise? Why should I look at you? So I'm gonna say that Chris is very, very good with the social media because he's savvy enough to put stuff out there, to be open, to be comfortable in front of the camera. And yet he, he also had his head on his and, and kept something back and saved something so that when we, we saw him on stage, we saw improvements, we saw how he looked. Uh, he's, he's, he's good, they've got the, the brother-in-law is quite often in videos around each other's houses and apartments, the girlfriends, you know, having food together. So there's, there's stuff like that, it's like a family and you feel kind of involved and you can get into it. It's not quite so proper level. It's not quite uh, reality shows type stuff, but you know, you feel that you're being involved. You feel you feel you're part of the journey without giving too much away. So yeah, it's really I I I like him. I like him. He's he comes across as a genuine guy. You 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 get to hear these things about him. There's no I'm going to say there's no great arrogance about him, and so that makes him a popular fellow. And if I think back when uh, the article which we'll link to was on uh, evolutionary it was a few years ago. His numbers were 100,000 then. I'm going to say that they're way, way higher than that now. Right up. If he's not three, 400,000, I'd be very surprised. Steve. So let's kind of get back a little bit um, to how he kind of made his rise. So back in 2015, the uh, Canadian National Bodybuilding Championship Men's Junior Division, that's where he really splashed on the scene, got first place. The next year, open heavyweight division, he got second place. And then that same year, the IFBB North American Bodybuilding Championships, he got first place and that got him the pro, his pro card. And then from there, uh, he really ascended very rapidly 
The very next year, he got second place at the 2017 Olympia Classic Physique. The next year, he got second place at the Olympia Classic Physique. And then in 2019 and 2020, he got first place. So he he worked his way up um, really rapidly. It was kind of um, really for his age. Uh, you're kind of shocked when you see these guys improve so rapidly from the point of being a teenager to the point of being in the, in the early 20s. I, I mean, it blows me away. Um, and a lot of the younger guys out there, they look at him and they're like, wow, he's he started when he was 19, really getting serious. And then by 24, he was the classic physique champion, 24, 25 years old. They're like, wow, I can do that too. This is actually what I was just thinking. It literally, as the words came out, I, I was just thinking that the classic physique is well, what we could aspire to and how we want to look. You and I just done a very recent podcast on on, on a former Mr. Olympia competitor, uh, Bob Paris, and we said it's the kind of physique that we think people should look at when they're walking down their beach. Chris seems achievable. It seems attainable. That level of physique, especially some of the lighter guys in his class, it's it's there. You know, there's some some guys that are in athletic condition, and you, you've mentioned it in previous podcasts when you talked about American footballers, etc., and then they switch over to weightlifting and bodybuilding. Chris has that kind of physique. The class is... It was created specifically for that reason, to become more believable and less freakish. And of course, much smaller stomachs, less less stuff hanging out. And, and, and I, I mean, I don't get me wrong, I like the freaks. They, 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 you know, they, they get the juices going, they make you want to go down a, a gym and as some of the younger Brits would say, smash the weights. But Chris's physique seems more attainable, more achievable, Steve. All right. Yeah, guys, so... Listen, what's cool about Chris is he came in, he had to actually go through some issues. He had hernia surgery months out from the show back in 2019. And Mobster, do you know much about that hernia surgery, how he was able to? No, I, I was, uh, I've been looking into the uh, medical condition where he was hospitalized in 2018. So yeah, if you want to, you, you tell the guys about the so, uh, hernia. And so let me tell you guys about hernia. What, her, what happens with hernias is when you're lifting heavy weights, You'll lift the weights and you'll get like a tear. And I have a couple of hernias. I have mm. a over my stomach. Um, I have a hernia kind of on my side too from deadlifting. So those kind of you get those little tears. And if you don't take care of those tears, they get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. So in my situation, I haven't got my surgery yet, but eventually I will have to get surgery. So those are those where hernias are. Yep. So a quick one, then. Uh, this is not from my own personal experience. I've been very fortunate in that particular regards, but I've had a couple of buddies who have had this. And uh, get it done, guys. Get the surgery done. It's a very small incision, one or two inches. They, a lot of the time, they use like a Teflon mesh, which goes inside. And in fact, where the surgery is done is stronger than it was before. In the old days, it was literally put a few stitches in and, and, and that was it. It's not usually a tear in the muscle, but normally a tear in the fascia, or, or, or in the uh, tendons and connective tissue between the muscles. Uh, so get it fixed. Perfectly normal, fill heath with the umbilical and a bunch of other, the groin ones were the common ones for, for guys working in heavy industry uh, back when I was a child and, and stuff like that. I've had buddies have it. When they get it fixed, fantastic. And the, the scars, etc., are tiny, barely visible now. And in fact, even if you're a competing bodybuilder, if they put this into the fold, which is normally where you get this on use anyway, you, you can barely see them and the scars on it are almost invisible. So our advice, get that stuff sorted. Steve, get it sorted. 
All right, guys. So the next thing we want to talk about is his training regimen. So I'm going to bring in Mobster for that. Tell us about his training, what you found out. I mean, this is the thing. It's interesting for me. It's actually, I, I actually made a note to the point where I said this would actually be too much for me. Uh, and I'm, I don't think he's anything close to being what I would call a strength athlete in terms of, you know, overall physical strength or whatever else. But what in, in the article that refers to it and, in, and stuff since, it doesn't seem to have changed that much. So it's a five-day split, although he did say sometimes he repeats this without a break. So what that means is he trains for five days and normally... Steve, as you know, you'd have a couple of days off or at least 24 hours in between there. But Chris says sometimes if training is going real, if there's no issues, if there's nothing holding him back, he'll repeat the training split straight away. So it's five day rolling into the next five days and so on. Exercises vary from five exercises of the body by up to 10. And that's where I actually is like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of work. 10 exercises per body part. You're going to be in the gym if I roll well, guys. This works for Chris. I don't think necessarily it'd work for the majority of our audience, but it works for Chris. So if it's a starting point, start with the five exercises and see how you get on. That might just be a bunch of rowing movements, pulling movements, et cetera, for back and the, and the kind of stuff here. And then typically, and I, I don't actually see much variation in these sets and reps. Four sets of 12 reps seems to be the norm. Uh, for me, that would be less, sometimes 15 to 20. And I think he, on his legs, he goes 15 to 20, but everything else seems to be four sets of 12. So that still means he's doing something like up to 40 sets of workout. And uh, in the great scheme of things, that's quite high. On the other hand, look at the results. Look at what he's bringing out. So, yeah, that's that kind of stuff right there, Steve. As I said, no 500-pound bench presses again, no 600-pound squats, no 700-pound deadlifts here. It's all moderate weight, great form. I do recall seeing some videos of uh, last year spots on form and of course in fact as you just suggested the hernia if anything that's going to make you use tighter better more focused form with less weight to produce it and it's something that we touched in the pre-show was he has improved from 2019 to 2020 there were there were things that were being said about his physique and the main two was that his back lacked something and his rear biceps especially the rear double biceps where you're going to see the back and the biceps of course lack something as well now i've seen comparison photographs put up on instagram various uh social media channels and there is a definite 100 definite improvement between 2019 and 2020 uh, the only other thing and steve and i touched on this a little bit which is in terms of physique difference etc etc i'll kind of touch on as well is his height at six foot one he's one of the more taller competitors and so arguably can actually, in terms of his training, need to fill out his physique more. It seems that some of the smaller guys seem better muscle, better condition, et cetera, et cetera, a couple of years ago. But Chris, he's improved. Whatever he's doing in the gym, and Ian is handling his, his, his coaching in terms of both nutrition, uh, supplements, as we say, and in training, he's improved. So what he's doing is working. What, and of course, it works for him. But you can take this, he's not doing anything that's that different from most bodybuilders. He's not doing some kind of crazy, insane 50, 60 reps for this or 100 reps for that or 50, 60 sets or whatever else. It's all perfectly normal, nothing spectacular, but it's, it's focused, it's directed, he's brought his back up, he's brought his biceps up, he looks improved, he looks better. And of course, it works. He's the winner. He's the champion. We can't say that it doesn't work. The only other thing, and this is it's a big deal from the uh, classic class, Steve, of course, as you know, is that they are much better 
much tighter at controlling their waistlines. They just look visually better in terms of that taper and having the control. And Chris, to me, I've, I think I've seen him practicing this in videos and is very, very good at the vacuum pose on stage. Pretty much 90% of his, 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 especially the forward facing front to the, front to the judges uh, poses involves a much tighter stomach. And I'm going to actually say that's not mentioned in any of the training stuff that he does. I guarantee you that he's spending time working on those poses, holding his stomach in, and even in certain training moves and, and lifts, etc., making sure that his stomach stays tight the whole time. And that's something that we could give as a, a piece of advice to the listeners in terms of their own training. If they want to look like Chris, if they want to compete in classic, they need to have this. You can't, to use a, a, a phrase, you can't let it all hang out all the time and then hope it's going to look good on the day. These guys are keeping a stomach tight throughout the whole movements, wearing a belt, wearing a waist control and looking good. It's not mentioned, but I'm pretty sure that's what he's doing. And that's a, an extra piece of advice for you guys, Steve. Yeah, so what is his diet like? We can take a look at his diet, Monster. Very, very simple. Um, you know, to get that kind of physique, you got to eat clean. You got to mm. eat completely clean. You got to eat a lot of good quality, nutritious food, lots of vegetables. <clears throat> um, you know, the chicken, the the... the grass-fed beef, probably, you know, he, he probably does like probably a high fat diet on the off season and in season probably does like a lower fat diet. Um, although fat isn't your enemy, a lot of these guys like to do that. They like to kind of cycle in their fat off and on. So I think, you know, the, basically, you know, the oatmeal, the eggs, the chicken, the rice, you know, very, very simple type of type of things like that. I don't think it's really anything that complicated personally. So, I mean, you know, yeah. I just figured one of the things that he discussed and it's a bit more of a fun thing than anything else. He did put out those videos where they were obsessing over what they're going to eat after the Mr. Olympia, once the competition's over, we're going to have, and this is a fun thing sometimes. It's kind of like in this country, and I think you have it with the American pro football, it's called fantasy leagues where you kind of fantasize what would be the best team and how to put together and whether it'd be another team. So it is, it's a fun thing to do when you're competing, even in the weightlifting stuff that I do, if you have to make weight, what am I going to eat when the competition's over? So yeah, the, he's done one of those videos where he has 10,000 calories and he's definitely done a couple of videos and, and there's, there's uh, Instagram stuff out there where you can see, right, so we went to this taco restaurant and we went to this kind of thing. So it's a fun thing to do. You have that moment of relaxing after the, strict strict stuff that he's had to do in order to get into shape and uh and funny enough in, in the video that i watched yesterday which is very recent uh, i believe he re refers to uh literally lying in a minivan and and the wife or the girlfriend whoever she's gone to the shop to get food uh chris and uh, ian sorry he's gone with his wife to the shop and they've left a very depleted very tired three days out from competition bumstead laying on the back of the minivan floor with the doors open saying i feel like three days out it's, it's absolutely exhausting and of course the food can feel like it's dirt in your mouth at that particular point so yeah i think he keeps things very simple diet wise steve but definitely enjoyed himself in the off season and more so if he's getting up to the reputed uh, 260 pounds so at least 35 pounds over his uh, top competitive weight in the off season uh, as, as a way of uh, staying sane and, and, and not feeling hungry all the time. And of course, allowing for growth. I think the 215 to 225 that we suggested is probably in those last two or three years. And if he's put on the muscle that I think he's done, he's definitely eating more than he was uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and I think you, you, you mentioned in the article, seven meals a day, I'm gonna say 100%, 100%. It's, it's, it's the way of controlling the stomach, 
by not putting large amounts of food in two, three times a day, but actually spreading them and putting it out there to reduce the volume of food that's in the stomach to keep that tight stomach and look amazing on stage. And he does. You don't get to be the winner without making these sacrifices and doing these things properly from day to day. Steve. Yeah, so let's get into steroid cycles. You guys all want to hear about that. So if you take a look at the steroid cycle that these guys are running at this level, it's really, really simple. Trend, trend really cuts them up nicely. They're using um, probably testosterone. They throw in some testosterone, not a lot though. You don't want to run too much testosterone. No. And then you want to, you know, Primo Bolin is one of the all classic physiques, maybe because, you know, he was a big classic physique guy. Maybe he was running. What do you think, Mobster? Probably Primo Bolin. If he was looking at those guys as his hero, I don't know. Um, I, I think something that you and I discussed in the pre-show, Steve, is I actually think if we were to compare this with an open class competitor, I guarantee that the numbers are down right across the board. And something which we talked about in the pre-show was the, the kidney disease, Berger's disease, and he's got an autoimmune condition. So I'm actually going to think in terms of the stuff that he's putting in, he's trying to stress himself physically as least as possible. It's going to be it's going to be a very fine line between taking the right amount of gear to grow and not upset his autoimmune and his kidney disease or his kidney condition, should I say. So it's it's it, this is maybe where Ian's going to be earning his crust. If he wasn't, if he wasn't his brother-in-law. And, and, and Chris was paying for his advice. This is where that's going to come right in. Me and you are looking at this stuff. He cannot be excessive with, with his roid juice. He just can't because it's going to have to deal with the side issues. So, yeah, I mean, the, the HGH, I'm actually going to say that would probably help him. And if we said 10 use a day as per the article, I, I'd agree with that. The Anivar, I actually think possibly a tiny bit higher because as, as an oral, I would want him on, that, it's only a singular oral, although you can, you can take Winstrol orally. I would want him on the least amount of orals that I possibly could. And I would be, you and I, you talk about this way more than I do, but I've started to pick up your habit. I would monitor his bloods weekly, monthly. I'd want him to be taking multiple blood tests through the year and, and keeping an eye on things 101%. So what are we looking at here? Yeah. Trend is the one that I would probably worry, worry about the most. And I'd probably, I'd, I, would, I would have it in a cycle, but I would have it for short periods of time. The test, I think it'd be fine. Primo, again, no problem with those numbers, 1,200 milligrams a week for short periods of time, especially when he's, he's in the growing phase. I've already addressed the HGH, the Anivar. I'd actually probably drop this a little bit. But uh, I can see this being typical for a competitor in his class. And then Winstrow as, a, as, a, as an agent to dry him out and make him look good. But I'd watch these levels throughout the year. If you was advising him, Steve, I'm going to say that you'd be the same. You'd want you'd want regular blood tests and regular feedback on how he's feeling, how he's looking, and what his numbers were. So that we could keep him, we could keep him safe, we can keep him healthy, we could keep, keep him competitive. So yeah, he's not going to be doing open levels of gear, people. He's not going to be smashing this, that, and the other. He's not going to be doing any kind of death cycles. He's not going to be doing 15 or 20 kind of PEDs or whatever else. It could be relatively simple, highly monitored, highly controlled. Don't you think so, Steve? You know, at that level, I still think you're going heavy. I wouldn't surprise me if he was doing a lot of stimulants, maybe even DMP as well. Um, mm. You know, they these guys are very, very crazy about, you know, staying lean. So um, at his level, I'd say a lot of maybe even like stuff like ephedrine, stuff that was, you know, very. Maybe. Yeah. 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 So, I think it's quite common. You, you and I both know that stims, as we like to call it, or short shorthand it too, are very common 
in the younger crowd. The pre-workouts was like almost an obsession, and it's something that supplement companies have been selling and making serious money out for, for quite a while. So I kind of agree, and we've addressed this before in previous podcasts. The level of obsession and dedication and risk, if you want to put it that way, that's required to be a top pro, it's kind of high. You don't get to be a, you know, a racing driver or, or a jockey without understanding there's risk involved. And if you drive at 200 miles an hour and you might crash, it's going to be a big deal. If you fall off a horse doing 40 miles an hour and a horse lands on you, it's going to be a big deal. If you do crazy, crazy weights in the gym, you're risking injury. So, yeah, I kind of agree that the risk attitude is going to probably be a little bit more than I would prefer it to be, which is another reason as a coach, I would I would be on point with his blood test. I'd want to know what the hell's going on. Um, on the other hand, how can we argue against it? He's been successful. He's done really well. As you said, he's gone from kind of middle of the pack to the front of the pack in five years. And he's gone from their position to first place, two years on the trot with an improved physique. So he's definitely doing something out there. And I think the, the idea of attitude of risk and reward for him is kind of working. His social media has improved. His uh, sponsorships that you've already mentioned has improved. So for him, it's worth it. But for a lot of guys, a lot of our, our, our listeners, we, we, we go in the other direction. We say, listen, the cycle that we're talking about here is not actually that dramatic. It's probably a little bit higher. It's certainly a lot higher than I've ever done. And maybe even Steve. But this guy's a competitive, he's a professional bodybuilder. He's a high-level bodybuilder. So you, you can't say, oh, I'm going to copy what he does and think you'll get the same results. And you're not being given four or five sponsorships. You're not being... You're not winning fifty or sixty thousand dollars, guys. So you have to understand the risk reward here. On the other side, I think HCH would probably help him looking at this kind of stuff. So you know. Yeah, yeah. I just want to jump in. HCH, DMP. These are the stuff that these guys are using at the high levels. The Trembolone mm-hmm. usually, you know, isn't the best for cutting, believe it or not. But what's what's odd is that with these guys, they have really good insulin sensitivity. So with them, even using you know, uh, those types of, of, you know, steroids, they actually are going to be able to cut on them. So I thought about, that was, about, so that, sorry, Steve, what about retention of muscle tissue when you're dieting and potentially with his medical condition as well? Are we talking about drugs here that's going to keep that muscle on him when he, when he's reduced and when he's, when he's getting lean rather than necessarily trying to grow anymore? Yep. Of course he doesn't need to be also, also fasting don't don't doubt that these guys are obsessed over fasting uh what they like to do is a lot of fasted cardio and that's the big one with those with with them so fasted cardio is going to be what they're all over so that's what i would guess they would be doing so a lot of fasted cardio as well um a lot of uh, you know just in general like if he needs to cut down ahead of the competition just throw water ahead of it and just, um, you know, you're, you're good to go. You're good to go doing that. So that's probably something what I didn't, something I did notice with his physique, probably in the last two years, funny enough, I think the 260 pounds that's been referred to as his off season body, it was probably a couple of years ago, just after the hospitalization with, with the Burgess disease. Whereas in the last two years, certainly since 2019 to 220, we're not seeing a massive Chris Bumstead out of season. He's staying within probably 10, 15 pounds. And maybe that makes him more commercial. It also means he hasn't got to drop a lot of weight. That's less stress on the body. And so these are the kind of things we, again, can learn. It was a great thing back in the 70s, 80s, and even maybe up into the early 90s. And there's still one or two that do it. To put on, as you know, Steve, 50 pounds from competition shape 
so off season, middle of winter, bulking shape. And really, it's great for the ego walking around with this great giant physique. I mean, I say that for myself. Don't get me wrong, when you're 300 pounds, you know, you're filling out your clothing, you've got shoes, chest, your shoes, arms, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of stress on your body, it's that much more hard work to have to drop 50 pounds to get back into shape. You know, you're cutting your food in half, you're doing fasting, you're doing fasted cardio, you're walking first thing in the morning. It's really, really difficult. So actually, as I say, I think with Chris, if my memory serves me well, Certainly in the last 18 months, 12 months, he's not getting 50, 60 pounds out of shape on the off-season. He's staying within range. He's staying in reasonable shape. He's only having to drop at the most 20 pounds. I'm going to say more like 10 to 15. And he's probably going to see his abs years around, Steve. And again, we are, of course, as always, we're dealing with gen superior genetics here. Every single person in his class, top 10 in the classic at the Mr. Olympia, is, for most people, a fantastic bodybuilder already they're not a big rammy or roly winkler kind of freaky physique but they are really they would be in the top one percent of any gym in the world looking the way that they do and in fact some of them you know they do other stuff in terms of modeling or whatever same same as the, the figure girls as well it's, it's arguably way more commercial so getting out of shape would be bad for business getting out of shape would be bad for your income so, yeah, I don't think he's doing it. Anymore. I don't think he's getting to 260. I'd be very surprised if he's much over 240 pounds in the off-season. Less gear, less stress, better shape. Uh, but, yeah, he'll still be doing his stunning stuff. You don't get to be the top 10 in the world or the number one in the world without pushing the envelope in terms of what you're capable of. I just hope, fingers crossed, that we're not talking about a guy who's going to put himself back in the hospital in the next couple of years. He's, he's, he's a nice guy. He comes across well. I wish him well. All right, guys. So, yeah. And, you know, uh, the thing is with these steroids, don't look at this cycle and just be like, eh, I can just hop on the cycle and do no. it. These guys know what they're doing. A lot of trial and error. He's a very smart guy, obviously. He has amazing genetics. And I think, I think, um, I think at the end of the day, these guys know how to manipulate these compounds. What they'll do, they'll cut off the trend, they'll cut off the test, they'll go to Masteron, they'll go to Winstraw right ahead of their competition, short-acting esters. The propionate, the, they might do the, the testosterone propionate, you might do the test the, the trembolone acetate, cut them off, get that inflammation down. The Winstrol, high dosages of the Winstrol really, really dries them out. High doses of Masteron really, really hardens them out. Probably 100 milligrams a day of the Winstrol, probably 1,000 milligrams a week of the, of the Masteron, probably propionate. Agreed. And, you know, and the ACH, they know how to manipulate the ACH. They'll, they'll run high doses of the ACH leading up to it then drop down the ACH so they can get the rid of the water retention. So these guys know what they're doing, guys. They mess around with the diuretics. They mess around with peptides. They mess around with all these chemicals to kind of shape their bodies. It's really, really uh, crazy. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to say, Steve, just to interrupt, sorry, with the masteroid and stuff like that you just mentioned, I think more maybe than the open class because of the, the uh, they don't need to be 30, 40 pounds heavier than they are right now on stage. They're, they're, they're much drier physiques, much better, arguably better condition, along with some of the guys in the 212 class. It's maybe not so much this year, because I've seen some photographs of the Open Class Olympia, which actually show some improvement. But last year, especially, there was a lot, the conditioned classes were not the Open Class. It was the 212, it was the Classic, it was the other classes. 
much better condition. So the short acting that you said in the Mastrons, that those hardening physiques, drier out of physiques, uh, steroids, I can see these guys using him probably more, certainly a couple of years ago, uh, than the open class guys, because the open class guys were coming in like they missed their peak by a couple of days, or they'd come in kind of watery on the pre-judging and then harden up for the judging and stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, diuretics, Steve, what do you think? I'm going to say yes, because you don't get to look that way on stage, no matter what classroom without diuretics, right down to the, the fitness figure girls. So I think, although it's not mentioned in the cycle here, I think diuretics will play a big part in it. Again, he has to be careful with his medical condition. But yeah, I think there's going to be something in there to help these guys try it in the last 24, 48 years. Don't you think so? The thing with diuretics is these guys are working with coaches who really know what they're doing. So if you screw mm -hmm. up on the diuretics, you will not look good when you go on stage. What's fascinating about Chris, though, is he had the experience at the high level. He got second place two years in a row. He knew what he had to do to improve, and he got it down to a, a – so if you're going to mess around the diuretics, if you screw those diuretics up, you go on your show looking like crap. So he knew what he was doing, and I think he got it on such a good a T, to a T, that he was yes. able to manipulate the way he looked. It really is amazing what these guys do to look on stage the way they do with the vascularity and the shredness and stuff. It is definitely a lot of trial and error. I'll put it that way. Something else that we mentioned to each other in the pre-show, of course, is his coach has been top 10 in Olympia. And I actually said to Steve that a couple of years ago uh, in a run-up, to, I believe, the 2019, uh, Mr. Ellis, if not the 2020, and again, it's my feeble memory, Ian kind of messed up and came on stage at one particular show. We'd actually looked better three days out, social media, this amazing photographs, and then on stage, his tan was off, that was corrected by the evening show, but the damage had been done. His condition was slightly off, et cetera, et cetera. But when it came to the Mr. Olympia, it was much improved. So you've got a, a, a coach who's been in the current and he will note, so therefore his knowledge will be current as well. Top 10, Missy Olympia, with an improved physique, made mistakes of his own, learned from his own mistakes, and of course he can pass on this kind of information over to his clients, including his brother-in-law, Chris, to make those kind of improvements, Steve. Yes, sir. All right, guys. So listen, you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, let's have a little debate on what physique is better, mobster. So what's your opinion on the physiques of this, this class versus the open competition? I think for me, I, I'm kind of a freaky guy. And I'll tell you what, I, the only reason for that is it's like anything else. Someone said once compared bodybuilding to kind of car racing. And you said, right, so what funny cars and drag races with their, you know, crazy fuels and huge wheels and five and a half second quarter miles and all that kind of crazy stuff. You ever been to one of those things? I haven't, but if you ever been to one of those things, apparently it's absolutely deafening. You can smell the fuel, you can smell the rubber. It's kind of crazy. And it's not how you're not driving to the show to watch it. You're driving down there. And even if it's a nice fast car, you're still driving sensibly to go to watch drag racing. But when you get to the drag race, it's absolutely crazy. It's an overwhelming experience. You'll probably go home half deaf and you think, oh my God, that was amazing because the, the, the drilling is going and you can smell the you can smell stuff on your clothes just from sitting at the front row there and watching what was going on. So for me, open class top level bodybuilders kind of like that. You go, oh my God, have you seen this guy's legs? Have you seen this guy's back? And it makes you want to go to the gym and lift crazy heavyweights. But truthfully, the classic physique is 
something that's there. It's Apollonian. It's out there with the kind of stuff Steve Reeves was doing back in the day. It feels achievable. Arnold Schwarzenegger got to the point where he said, you know, I'm sick and tired of his stomach sticking out. The guy should be have points taken away and, and they should be marked down for their stomach sticking out. And the classic physique guys, all, all of the classic physique guys do a vacuum. So, and I think it's also perhaps uh, closer to the Schwarzenegger-esque era of uh, late 60s mid to the mid 70s where you know you had a waist you had a taper you looked like people could you know would like to look etc etc some of the pro open class body but as a freaky and i use that analogy just now the crazy dragster type racing as they are and, and kind of exciting and, and the wow factor that's not necessarily how you want to look yourself it's not necessarily the kind of physique that you feel that you maybe could aspire to and short of maybe having the class that wears the uh, uh, board shorts. This is the, this is kind of somewhere in between. Board shorts is almost normal guys. This is a bodybuilder, but the kind of bodybuilder that we think they should look like. And an open class is just they're just the freaks. It's just the crazy stuff. It's not the things we go to the circus for. But they they still bring the money. They still bring the sponsorship. Uh, let's put it this way: if sponsors and supplement companies are normally the sponsors of big bodybuilding shows like the Mr. Olympia didn't see the money, then the Mr. Olympia open class would not be picking up $400,000 checks. Whereas uh, companies like Nike and Adidas will probably see the classic guys as more commercial when they start to maybe put the money in as perhaps they will do in the next couple of years. Uh, if The Rock does his competition, I could see this, the classic, there's actually a suggestion that the classic class could be right up there with the cash, Steve, and uh, the prize money could be hundred thousand plus and it could become very interesting so yeah commercially viable it's brought something to the sport but it's not what it doesn't get my juices going but yes i'm just a perfectly fine bodybuilder i wouldn't complain if my fairy godmother waved a magic wand and maybe look like that in the morning but I'll, I'll take me open class physiques to to inspire me to go down and gym and smash the waist even for the weightlifting type stuff and the strength stuff that i do what about you steve what do you think I definitely think it's better. Um, the physique guys definitely look better than me, but they're still freaks. I mean, they're still mm -hmm. freaks. I would oh, say yeah, yeah. Chris Bumstead, I mean, he's 6'1", 225 or 220. Body fat, like what, 3%, 4%? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. insane. And just the way, like, the stuff that they take to dry themselves out is just ridiculous. So, mm. I don't know, man. I don't know. I think um, we'll have to see if, the, if this competition stays the same or if it changes over time. If your fairy godmother waved a magic wand, Steve, what would be your choice? Open class physique or classic physique? If I go, here's a magic, here's some beans, Steve. You're going to take some magic beans and tomorrow you're going to wake up. Which, which one do you choose? I would, uh, I would have to go with the classic physique in yeah, some way. And the other way, I think the open physique would be just the monsters. Mind you, just, yeah. just go all the way. So it's kind of, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, that's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. There is, there, is a, there is an argument. There's one more argument for you, Steve. There's something, thing, right? So here's how this works. Sometimes, and especially as you say, they're still freaks. They're still got genetics that, you know, God-given genetics. If you already have a classic physique there's already been talk about some of these guys that moving up into the open class so you go you have for them with their genetics and their their, their natural ability and of course hard work etc that goes into it it then becomes right 
do I then become a freak? Do I go from this great looking physique that people think is amazing and then turn into a monster? <laughs> if you have few people have that choice, I think Chris could probably actually, if he put on another 20 or 30 pounds, and we know he's been size 260 in the off season, he could probably do that. But I think he'd get lost in the pack. Ian, his, his coach has kind of got, he's got a really, he's got otherworldly aspect to a taper and otherworldly aspect to what I think is front lat spread is, is very different from a lot of guys' front lat spread. So he couldn't, he can't do classic. And so he does have a kind of freaky look and he's probably only 15 or 20 pounds heavier than Chris in shape on, on, on stage. And it's interesting that these guys are this close and, and, and one's in one class and one's in the other. So you kind of got that all the time. At the end of the day, all these guys are working incredibly hard. Dieting is difficult. They're, they're risking what they do with the steroids. They take what they need to take. They're getting in shape the way they need to get into shape. And every class has to have some freak factor and genetic factor which enables them to do these things. And all of them have a commonality in terms of the effort that's put out, the term, focus on the diet, focus on the training, make sure the tan's on point, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's one of those things I think I've seen when when they've taken Arnold and they've morphed his physique to see what he would look like with this with the steroids and the training that we do today. You know, he still has they, they they've allowed him to keep the waist, but his biceps are two inches bigger and his chest is three inches bigger and so on and so forth. Chris is right there at the minute where it, another 15 or 20 pounds he'd have to go to the open class. But I think he'd get lost in the pack in the open class. His only saving grace would still be his vacuum. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those fun things to do. Right up there, as we said already, with the post-competition food, just how many cakes am I going to eat and how many tacos am I going to cram in my mouth? It's one of those things that people like to talk about from time to time. So, yeah, I, I, as I said, overall, Chris, to me, great guy, great physique. Uh, I wish him well. And I would like to see the classic class maps move up in the uh, dollar earnings for the prize money, same as the 212 class. Everybody's putting a lot of work in. Be nice to see these guys getting a few more bucks and then another zero on their checks when they win. All right, buddy. So listen, guys, we appreciate you guys listening to this. This was another Evolution Hardcore episode, Chris Bumstead. Check him out as an Instagram page, guys. How many easy have mobster? He's got 1.8 million followers. So if you want to be a follower, <laughs> I, I knew it had gone up. Wow. Yeah. So if you want to yeah. be a follower too. Go no. ahead and hit him up. Go ahead and I think he's got enough, but yeah. that's way more than it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. That's what it's gone right yeah. that's what, but, that's what happens when you win, people. You make 300,000 new friends. <laughs> yeah. And he's, uh, yeah, I, I can safely assume he's a beast. I'm looking at a picture of him right now on his Instagram, and uh, he's, a, he's a fairly uh, large fellow in the upper body. The, 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 the clip I saw yesterday. Yeah. But here's the thing. I, I just want to – you got to look at his legs. He doesn't yes. have much legs. So that tells you about what they look for in physique competition. He, he's climbing into an ice bath as part of his recovery for a video that he put out a few days ago. And he's got an old tiger claw thing going into his chest. And I don't think they're actually stretch marks so much as a sign of his condition uh, post-Olympia. And, uh, oh, something that you and I talked about in a pre-show, the joys of competing internationally with the situation that we've got right now meant that, Chris and his team, including Ian, had to stay. Uh, they stayed, but they didn't have to. They they stayed an additional week after Olympia, just to enjoy being able to walk around and do stuff in the states, and then had to self isolate when they got back home. So, 
yeah, I was just wondering, probably doing the videos together and putting out the information that we've seen. But yeah, he, he when you see climbing into the bath, doing his ice bath, you can see elements of his physique. That is kind of crazy. I don't care. The classic is a, must be a particular look or whatever else. It's what the guys were doing in the 70s, and they were genetic freaks in the 70s. Lou Ferrigno, Arnold Franco, that's the kind of stuff that they were doing. And, and, and they looked otherworldly to everybody else that was competing at the time. Chris does look otherworldly. And it's kind of funky when you see these, these kind of casual stuff, not posed on stage, but just walking around looking, looking pretty, it has to be said, pretty damned amazing, even when you're covered up. So, yeah, it's kind of fun. And as I just said, I think it was 100,000 followers when we saw the article and <laughs> 1.8 million, Steve. That, like I said, 300,000 new friends. You win the Olympia, you see your, your, your social media blows up. You suddenly have a lot more admired, a lot more people following. Amazing how success works in terms of uh, that kind of stuff and people hooking into what you're doing and whatever else and paying a lot more attention to what you have to say, which again, as I said, I think he does really well on the social media, comes across really well. And what's really great is he's he's kind of he's only young. He's he's not mentally and physically fully matured yet. He's probably got another two or three years of growing and, and another two or three years in terms of you know mental maturity. You know, we say this as older gentlemen me specifically, a um, few more years, even better. Even better on stage, even better as a professional, even better at social media, even better at educating, even better putting himself out in, into the world for people to talk to and interview and, and do this kind of stuff. So this is good now. It's going to be great in a very, very short time. I think that's the thing, thing for me would be, can we see him winning again next year? There was some debate, which you and I talked about in the pre-show, that the taller athlete, does better than a shorter athlete. Now, the, the shorter guys pointed out that the, the height seemed to vary, but I think Chris has kind of got what they're looking for. Uh, yeah, and I can see him winning at least one more classic competition. What do you think? Yeah, if he really wants it, I think he can do it. Uh, the competition is, you know, is getting there. Um, if the industry gets, you know, starts growing. Uh, Brian Onsley was the one who won it the two prior years. So um, it's just a question of, you know, do, how bad do these guys want it? I think if you've won two in a row like that, you know, um, you have to kind of tap back into the motivation of doing it. And the fact that he came back a second time and did it again, that probably means he still has the motivation to do it. So if you can stay and, healthy, and of course, once again, and, and, and of course, something else you and I touched on in the pre-show, way more difficult this year, uh, just as much for where they live in Canada and for the whole situation, because the, the Canadians were doing a quite tight lockdown and isolation, all that kind of stuff, they had to go out and buy weights and they had to make up a mini gym, mini home gym. I've got a better equipped home gym than they were using in the videos that I saw, and that's 100%. And they actually had access to a couple of other small home gyms that people were letting them use. They, he, well, both of them, him and his brother-in-law, achieved a level of physique that most of us would dream about in a home gym, Steve, for the Mr. Olympias, for the Open and for the Classic that Steve uh, uh, Bumstead competes in. They did that with home gym equipment, stuff that they brought, benches they got hold of, of a Craigslist and whatever else. So listen, when you say sometimes that you're up against it, Chris has been up against it medically, with his medical condition, with the hernia that Steve mentioned, with COVID-19, meaning he couldn't get access to commercial gyms, having to do exactly the same as a ton of guys, hundreds of thousands of guys worldwide, go on Craigslist, go on eBay, 
buy equipment, put dumbbells together, and do all this at home, and then still wins the classic Mr. Olympia. So to coin a phrase, what's your excuse? This guy's had it all to deal with and still killed it, still improved, still looked better on stage from last year. So I'm going to say, actually, as far as 2021 is concerned, if things do get back to normal, if he's able to train the way that he has trained, if he has the ability to get into commercial gyms, etc., I can see him maybe improving again and therefore, fingers crossed, he'll have a, a, at least one more title because if you can do it with all the crap that he's had to deal with this year, then then, then it's going to only be better next year and certainly the year after when things calm down and, and we're all back in the gym smashing the hell out of it. Steve. All right, guys. We appreciate you listening to this podcast. For Steve Smith and the Mobster, this has been another episode. Chris Bumstead, we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Shut up. <laughs>